built around the concept that you can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Well, remember, you were born to win. But in order to be the winner you were born to be, you got to plan to win, you got to prepare to win, and then and only then can you legitimately expect to win. You see, with integrity, you do the right thing. When you do the right thing, there's no guilt. With integrity, you have nothing to fear because you have nothing to hide. See, folks, failure is an event. It's not a person. Yesterday really did end last night. Today is a brand new day, and it's yours. Friends, welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and it is my unique privilege to bring today's profound message to you. The Ziggler Show is founded on what Zig Ziggler, the world's most prolific motivator, devoted his life to, inspiring your true performance. You can have the best tools, uh, resources, and even opportunity, but unless you are truly inspired, you'll be hopeful but remain where you are. What is the definition of inspired? Listen to this. To influence or animate with an idea or purpose. Did you hear that? Animate with a purpose. If you want to take action, you have to know and be motivated by true purpose. That's deep, folks, and it is why you are here. Let's dig in and change your world so you can change this world. We need all you've got to offer. Desperately. Today's show, one of the world's greatest wells of business wisdom, Roy H. Williams, shares a theme I have been hearing a lot about lately, how those who come from hardship generally outshine those we would normally deem as more fortunate. Uh, Now I would say come out of hardship and overcome it, of course. But after hearing his testimony, speaking of fortunate, I think we'll begin to question what truly is a better fortune. Is it trial or ease? But, you know, what if you did have it relatively easy? I mean, does that mean you're out of luck? It's something I've always wondered about and we actually talk about in this show. So what do you do then? Well, that is the point of the show. So I'm going to ask you to listen in to have your paradigm shifted and challenged and hopefully find great opportunity and how to make yourself come through, overcome and uh, do get where you want to go, of course. But a quick word on Roy, if you don't know him, before I give you some highlights from the interview before we dive in. So folks, there's one blog. Uh, it's, a, it's a newsletter. It's an article. He does one article every week that I read without fail. I have done it for more years than I can remember. My email box ends up being full of his weekly Monday morning memos because they're so so incredible uh, that I can't get rid of them. And I, I end up referring back to them. I end up sending them to other people, as you'll hear in the interview with Tom Ziegler. Tom had never met Roy Williams, but knew of him well, because I have sent so many to Tom and the Ziegler team often uh, prior to our Monday morning Ziegler team meetings to say, okay, read this. I want to talk about it in the meeting. Uh, it's, it's incredible. I would highly, highly recommend, I'll, I'll say this multiple times. I don't get anything for this. Roy doesn't get anything for this. It's a free Monday morning memo. Go to Monday morning memo.com and you'll find it or type Roy H Williams into any search engine and you'll find it as well. 
it is worth its weight in gold if you are in business. And even if you're not, uh, it's just, it's just incredible. Again, I, I, I don't get a whole lot of blogs, newsletters, uh, and stuff sent to me. I just get a couple. That is one that I literally without fail. I've, I don't know that I've ever just clicked and deleted it before reading it. It's I'm, there's too much. Uh, I have too, too much to lose by, letting it go. I mean, if one of my kids wants an MBA in marketing or branding and advertising, especially I'll be thrilled because, uh, one, that's a valiant pursuit Two, It'll cost me nothing because they will gain much more by simply reading Roy's weekly memos, uh, for free than any amount of money on any formal education. That that's it. I mean, Roy gives an education with every single one of those incredible insights. Well, who is Roy H. Williams, if you don't know him? So here's a literal bio. It says, a lifelong student of humanity, Roy H. Williams has spent a quarter century asking what makes people do the things they do. And I'll cite that it's often from a business perspective and marketing. He's he's really uh, uh, diving in deep to understand why do they do the things they do and how can we harness that well in our businesses. But he's been using the things he's learned to stimulate miraculous growth growth for his small business clients for more than 25 years. His books and Monday morning memos are a constant source of fascination and entertainment for his students and friends around the globe, which again, I'd have to attest to. I am as highly entertained as I am educated by his Monday morning memos. His first book, The Wizard of Ads, was voted uh, business book of the year in 1998. His second book, Secret Formulas of the Wizard of Ads, was named the Wall Street Journal's number one business book in America in 1999 and became a New York Times bestseller. The third book in the trilogy, Magical Worlds of the Wizard of Ads, reached bestseller status again in late 2001. His fascinating fourth book, Accidental Magic, is a tightly condensed anthology of writing tips and insights mixed with artistic examples provided by 106 of his amazing protégés. Uh, he's got 40 branch offices in the U.S., Canada, and Australia. Uh, the Wizard of Ads, Inc. is now serving the advertising and marketing needs of business owners around the globe. Uh, and I love this part of it. They end this bio saying, uh, you know, kind of on the company saying our fees are tied to your growth. The only way for us to make more money is to increase the size of your business. I love again, reading the stories he has in the Monday morning memo of businesses who came and this is what they were doing, especially from an advertising marketing branding standpoint. This is how they changed them and what the results were. I mean, it's just a testimony. It's like seeing the person losing weight, holding their you know, gargantuan pants out that they used to fit in, in front of them. It's uh, undeniable. Well, folks, this interview was flat out intriguing and fun. I mean, Roy gave some incredible insight and is so quote worthy. Uh, one gem I got was tr from him was traditional wisdom is often more tradition than wisdom. I, I mean, such a truth. He cites frustration with today's business startups, wanting to have everything figured out beforehand, trying to develop answers for questions that don't exist yet, and the necessity to leap and trust that the net will appear. Uh, we get into multiple controversial areas highlighted by his comment on God creating us as beings and giving us the power to say no to him, which is absolutely true. That's free will, but I had never thought about it in that way, as uh, Roy often brings me to thinking about things in a different way. Hey, reminds me of a guy I know named Zig Ziglar, uh, which is why he's here. And on that, Roy gives a, a great testimony to his initial experience of Zig and how Zig influenced his life as all of our interviewees 
uh, have to relate to us. But he cites how immigrants are going to end up, he feels, eating America's lunch because of their hunger and work ethic and how pain is a wonderful teacher. And to the lead topic that I led off with here, uh, we even hear how he somewhat manufactured hardship for his two sons in their upbringing. Just fascinating stuff. So folks, here we go. I am now give you an incredible interview between myself, Tom Ziegler, and the Wizard of Ads, Roy H. Williams. Roy H. Williams, thank you for being here. I'm immensely honored you granted us your time today. I'm thrilled to connect with you finally and to bring you to this audience. So thank you and welcome to The Ziegler Show. Well, Kevin, it's great to be here. You say finally. Um, what, was, what was our first exposure to each other? I, that's the point. It hasn't been. Uh, I have oh. been, I've been following you, stalking you for as long as I can possibly remember. And I'm going to testify to that as we get into this. And, uh, th- that is literally, that, that's the point that, um, I have been gain- getting and dispensing your wisdom, giving you credit, of course, for so many years and yet never have done this. That's why I personally contacted your your people and said, I would just be so honored to have Roy on the show. Would he do that? And was thrilled that they said yes, and you're here today. Well, the magic word was Zig Ziglar. I was a huge Zig fan when he was with us and had the pleasure of, of being with him a few times. Uh, he would never have remembered me, but he made a big mark on my life. Well, uh, you know what? I actually did a little bit of a search, as I often do when we bring somebody on for an interview. I type their name in and then Zig Ziglar and see what I can find. And I actually have it sitting here in front of me. You wrote, boy, I think I failed to put the date. It was one of your Monday morning memos, which, folks, I'm going to be pounding on you guys because of the benefit I've gotten to go to mondaymorningmemo.com and sign up. Roy sends out an article every week. And uh, I, I'm going to get into more of that, but uh, please feel free to stop the podcast, go there, get that now. But uh, you wrote one, I think the title was Noah, and it said this, and I, I love it. Tom, you're going to appreciate this. He said, I keep motivational speakers as a rule in the same mental category as multi-level marketing, country music, and NASCAR. There's something about all four of these that strikes me as painfully predictable. Perhaps it's because I was raised in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Attention, Kmart shoppers. We have a flashing blue light special. That must be it. But Zig Ziglar, Kyle Cease, I believe, and Noah St. John are notable exceptions to my negative impressions of the self-help category. Each of them seems consumed with a sense of wonder about what they have found. They are not masters of a craft, but enthusiastic explorers of a new world. Zig was a colorful country boy. I can relate to that. I love that testimony, Roy. (laughs) Well, thank you. I, um, I tell a lot of Zig Ziglar stories about the times that I encountered him because I always felt that he was just astoundingly authentic. And you can't say that about all motivational speakers. That is my, it's why I'm here today. I grew up around that arena. My dad raised me going to those uh, conventions and seminars, and I got to see a lot of the guys behind the scenes. And I was very disillusioned by a lot uh, about how, who they were uh, off the stage except for Zig. That's what led me to the show, to Tom, and to being a part of this. But that statement in there, I wanted to hit on that. You said, uh, you mentioned they seemed like enthusiastic explorers of a new world. Roy, in my however many years I have been following you, that's what struck me about you. That seems to be a primary theme of your vocation in life and what you espouse. So I wonder, because I don't know you personally, I don't know your history, what was the catalyst for you for this interest and pathway and curiosity for your life of being an explorer? 
Um, it was the pain of responsibility. Um, I went to college for a day and a half, Kevin, and then decided, you know what, I don't think that this is for me. And so I uh, got a job selling radio advertising, and I had the extremely good fortune of looking much older than I was. I mean, I looked 30 when I was 19 because I was losing my hair, uh-huh. and um, people took me more seriously than they should have. And so I would, I would sell advertising, and I did everything they trained me to do, and then it didn't work. Now, I couldn't sleep at night. It wasn't working. And I had taken money from these people, and I had taken enough money that if it had been my money, I wouldn't be able to pay my rent. I wouldn't be able to buy groceries. Right. And, of course, I was making a mistake back then because I thought everybody else was exactly as poor as I was. And I guess that was a good thing because that sense of, oh, my gosh, I either have to change careers or I have to figure out how to make this stuff work. And so um, I decided that traditional wisdom was more tradition than wisdom. And I said, I need to do some experiments, and I need to get people to give me their permission to do this experiment with me. And so I would tell people, here's my thought. Here's what I think might work. I don't know that it will, but if you're up for it, maybe we should try this together. And, and that took people off guard. And a lot of people said, yeah, let's do this. That sounds to me like it would work too. And so then we would do it, and then we would compare notes. And uh, I, I learned a lot of things. And then that has grown over the years. And so um, when I said these people seem to me like explorers of a new world, mm. is that exploring a new world has been uh, what I've been trying to do now for 37 years. Okay. Well, so this is a different interview. I'm not real consistent in my interviews because I'm always struck uniquely by each person that we talk with. So I'm going to ask for your grace if I can for just a moment. I usually do a big intro uh, and spare you the time of me doing that so we can get into the meat of it. But as I got into what I felt the direction was to be for the show, which you don't know, this is fully candid here. uh, I want to, I want to give us a preface. So can I have uh, permission to Take us down yeah. a direction for a minute. I'm, I'm, up, I'm up for whatever. Okay. All right. So, as I said, I've been a student of yours for many, many years. Uh, I think I've gotten a master's degree, maybe a doctorate in marketing, branding, and advertising solely from your weekly Monday morning memos, which I, fa- I never fail to read. Uh, and he sends them to me all the time. I, oh, you're st- <laughs> I, I, I do. I do. They're, they're so often relevant for what we're doing in any business that I'm involved in. And so with Ziegler, I have, they, they bring me on in uh, headquarters in, in uh, Plano, Texas. The team's all there and I'm the big head on the screen. And I so often have preface with, okay, everybody check this article out by Roy first. Uh, so I've never talked with you. I've never attended one of your events. So I've come close and I have got to get down there. I, I wanted Tom and I to show up to one. I have not visited Wizard Academy campus, though I feel like I know it because I see so many of the pictures. I, I, I literally, we're going we're gonna to show up there. Um, my wife, her family lives there. The, the grandparents to my seven kids are there. I have no excuse for not coming to visit you. Um, today, though, uh, bringing you to the Ziegler show, we're going to have, you know, in the first four weeks, we'll have 30,000 people listen to this and then tens of thousands more after that. And, and folks, again, as you're listening to this, seriously, right now, please put this on pause, go to mondaymorningmemo.com and sign up. Uh, it will be worth its weight in gold to you. I, we, we interviewed Seth Godin last week. And if you talk, if you type Seth into a search engine, you come right up to him. If you type in Monday morning memo or Roy H. William, you you can't miss it. So please go there. Please sign up, get his information. And I would say go to an event, even though I, I shamefully have to admit I have not been there. Go to one, sign up. Hopefully I will meet you there uh, soon. 
the absolute best counsel, again, marketing, advertising, branding, reading your audience, and much more like inspiration and passion and faith and a worthy life. Please just go there. But today, we may end up on those subjects, and I'm happy to because you have rocked my world with those. But as I looked at this interview and this opportunity with you, I was a little bit overwhelmed at first to, to say, okay, what do I want? What do I feel like we need to focus on? And I stumbled upon a video uh, from you. And so I'll, pre- I'll, I'll get us in there real quick here. We're going to talk today about the massive advantage one has that you talk about, uh, can have with a hard upbringing, a disadvantaged childhood, as you as you said, or at least some significant hardship in a childhood. And this doesn't have to be, you know, abuse, neglect, folks, if you're listening. I'm not talking, it has to be abject poverty, dire tragedy, but some understanding and familiarity with difficulty. Uh, conversely, if you had a relatively safe, secure, and abundant, and unremarkable childhood, you may have a very realistic disadvantage. Doesn't mean you can't be exceptional, but we're going to talk to that aspect. So I have a lot to say on this uh, with you, Roy, but I want to... So for the audience right now listening to the podcast, and I apologize for those listening on Facebook and uh, Periscope, you're going to have to go listen to the show because I'm, I'm not going to play it for us now, but in the podcast, I'm going to play a three and a half minute video. It's an interview that was done from you, Roy, and this was back in October 2010 by Elise Ballard. It was an exclusive interview with the Epiphany channel, and their tagline is, it's about the unusual epiphanies of realizing seemingly unfortunate happenings are actually very lucky breaks. Uh, so, do you recall that video and what you oh, shared? Did. Yeah, I remember that. I remember, see, I was shocked when you said it was 2010. It seems to me like it was maybe last year. <laughs> the biggest epiphany that I have had that isn't common, and I think that a lot of people have very similar epiphanies, you know, the power of love, the meaning of commitment, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but at a reasonably young age, I was in my early 20s, and I realized what an extreme advantage it was to be born poor and to lose your hair when you're young. When you're 22, 23 years old and everybody assumes that you're 34, 35, they take you much more seriously than they ought to if they realize how young and inexperienced you really are. And so you you have all kinds of opportunities that open up to you. Um, When you're very, very young and getting very thin on top and you're almost bald. And I said, well, this is an extreme advantage. I'm really excited about this. And the other thing, it happened at the same time is when I realized that um, most people would say that I came from a disadvantaged home, you know, single parent family, blah, 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 the whole tragic mess. But, and then from extremely low income. But the things that you learn are an incredible resourcefulness, and you know that if you don't make it happen, it's not going to happen. There's nobody that's going to give it to you, hand it to you, even though they want to, they can't. And so the people in your life are kind of like, hey, you go, boy, but, you know, I can't give you money to buy a car or to insure it or to buy gas or have dates or anything. And so you've got a tough choice to make. You can either play sports or you can get a job. I mean, I'm 14 years old. And so, you know, most people didn't start learning really meaningful stuff until their early 20s, and I'm like 14. And the big epiphany for me was, man, this is an extreme advantage. Because by the time these other yo-yos are getting out of high school, it's like, dude, I'm 30. I have got a whole bunch of stuff figured out and have made a whole lot of progress. 
that other people are just beginning to realize the world isn't the way they were taught it was. To say it changed my life is to assume that you have a life to speak of when you're 14 years old. I would say it was a forming, it was a forming realization in my life in the sense that I wasn't frightened by things that frighten other people. In other words, um, I know how to be poor. Being poor doesn't scare me. Going broke doesn't scare me. I'll make it back. You know, being broke is a very temporary condition. Failure is a very temporary condition. And so, you know, most people are like terrified. My life is over. My life is ruined because they failed. Or they're, they don't even take chances because they're too terrified they're going to fail. And once you realize, it's like, shut up. Everybody's going to fail a thousand times. Just get behind you as quickly as you can and move on to your next opportunity. And so when you're thinking that way, you're less afraid to do the kind of things that bring success. And so just a, a, Teddy Roosevelt said it this way. He said, do what you can with what you have where you are. And when a person realizes that that's all you've got, you've got what you have and where you are, and you're limited to what you can do. Don't worry about what you can't do. And too many people live their life worried about what they can't do. So they do what you can with what you have where you are. This is what I'm talking about when I say when you grow up poor and you're not frightened by the things that frighten other people. And it's just a gigantic advantage. And the realization of that has shaped the bulk of my life. The, the interview topic caught me right away, Roy. Uh, it hit an essence that was foundational for Zig himself. He came from very humble, difficult beginnings. Uh, his autobiography is one of my favorite books. But I had just recently, somebody sent it to me. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't listen to Gary Vaynerchuk a whole lot, but I, they sent me a video and I listened to the first part of it. It's an interview that he did. It's a USC Entrepreneur Talk. And for Ziegler folks, I'll tell you, if you listen to it, it's a, an incredible amount of cursing. I don't understand why he does that, but he doesn't care what I think. But it's, he gets some really brilliant uh, insight in there. But he starts off, Roy, talking about he was born in uh, Belarus, former Soviet Union. He knows what abject poverty is like and that – and this is his quote. He says, I sit here – and he's in front of these folks – with enormous disrespect and enormous assumptions around all of you that you are just too soft to beat me. You've had it better, and that alone doesn't allow you to beat me. Now, I don't know if folks in the audience, and, and myself included, are out to beat someone, but I want to beat myself. I want to beat the norm. I want to beat the flow, the mediocrity, and so I resonated with that. So when I heard this video or saw stumbled upon this video from you, Roy, I, I knew that's where I wanted to go. You said being born relatively disadvantaged gave you some gifts. Number one, and I'm just going to break it down as we go through sure. and ask you about it. Sure. Number one, you said resourcefulness. Uh, tell me more about that. Cause in this, I would say more affluent culture that we seem to always be in resourcefulness. I don't hear that term a whole lot. And yet you listed as a number one benefit that you gained from that, that, and I assume that that's a bit, that's today. Absolutely. Tell no, me, I, tell us more. Resourcefulness is the idea. I think Kevin of, um, whenever you're faced with an obstacle, you instinctively know that you can get past it, you can get around it, you can get through it. Now you just need to figure out how. And um, I guess one of the things I learned from Zig was don't be worried about what you don't have. Don't mourn for that or say, if only I had this or if only I had that. You know, uh, I guess as also uh, Teddy Roosevelt said, do what you can with what you have where you are. And so this idea of resourcefulness says, hey, you just check to see what's available to you. You know, you can't you can't use any ingredients that aren't in the pantry. You open the pantry, see what you got to work with, and you figure it out. There's always a way to do it. And then you say, okay, now, 
this thing that I don't have, but I have a relationship that I think I can get that you know, from this other person. And so resourcefulness is just figuring out, okay, how can I get my hands on the necessary things that I'm going to need to get through this? And um, what relationships do I have? What friends do I have? You know, what have I got available to me? There is a way. I just need to assemble uh, the, the pieces to get through this. And what happens is when you come from nothing, that, that is born into you. It's kind of like, I'm going to have to go looking for this, but I will find it. I always do. And it's out there somewhere. I've just got to go find it. Well, I think people that are, are born with uh, surplus, they're born with assets, they never develop that habit of, of just going out and finding what they need. They think, well, I don't have it, therefore I can't do it. And I'm going, really? It's like so there are some people that wake up and, and they actually have the things that they, they, that they need. They don't have to go looking every time. And so that idea, I realized as I got older, I said, you know what? These other people, they don't think they can do it because they don't already have yeah. the parts and pieces. You know, and I'm going, gosh, I've always had to go looking for the parts and pieces. Evidently, that's like a really cool thing to, to have built into you. And I think more people need to, 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 to just figure it out. Okay, so you mentioned Teddy Roosevelt. I actually pulled that out of your video. You mentioned it in there. Do what you can with what you have where you are, which I, I totally appreciate that quote, though I think it leaves some unsaid, and I have no problem asking you, Roy, to expand on what Teddy offers us there. I mean, as you know, I mean, many people in many various circumstances, yeah, they, they don't feel like they have much to offer with who they are, what they have, and where they are. So I, I, I think, I assume we make the tangible assumption that what we're talking about here is we have more to offer, more options, more opportunity, more value to offer than we realize. You know, I'll tell you what, Kevin, that, that do what you can and, and not be distracted by what you cannot do. You know, once you understand that something cannot be done, then don't let your mind dwell on that. So the first thing is to figure out what you can do and not get freaked out by what you can't do. And then you said, okay, so now that I know what I can do, there is an action that I can take. And here's what, here's what I think holds people back too. Kevin, whenever they're looking at what they can do, just because they don't see the end game, just because they don't see the, 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 they don't see step two, three, four, five, and seven, they don't take step one. And I'm going, no. If the only thing you can see is step one, it's like the scripture that says, your word is a lamp unto my feet. That idea of a footlight, you only see one step at a time. And until you take that step, you got no, no light for the second step. So do what you can. Take the one step you can take, do the one thing that you know you can do that moves you in the direction you want to go. And then once you've done that, other things show up. The universe will conspire to assist you. And I say, so do what you can with what you have. So do what you can. Don't worry about what you can't do. Do, do with what you have. Don't worry about what you don't have. You know, if you can't get it, then you don't have it. So just do what you can with what you do have. Uh, and then do it now. Don't worry about if you had different circumstances. It's like you have these circumstances. So get, take what you've got, do what you can do, and do it right now. It's just a really simple idea, but... It's the beginning of every success. Simple and dramatically profound. I mean, you talking about that, a foot lamp is um, from that scripture. It made me right away think of, you know, our, give us this day, our daily bread. And I, I'm grateful for my da daily bread. I'd love to have my monthly bread or my yearly bread as well. And yet, especially with new endeavors, I'm involved in a couple of things, even some of the stuff we're doing with Ziggler right now, where we don't have our 
monthly bread figured it out figured out because we're we're creating it and it requires that what faith uh, you know Kevin whenever my wife and I started this company it was several years that it would be payday and I would have enough money to cover payroll for the employees but we couldn't cash our own check until some more money came in and so literally hand to mouth and people go well, what you didn't have a line of credit no I didn't have a line of credit are you crazy and it's like and so we shouldn't have survived, but we did. Yeah. And then we built this multi-million dollar, you know, 32-acre campus with 12 major buildings. And at no time have ever had a budget. Do you know why? Because we've never had any debt. We wake up. If we have money, we build things. If we don't have money, well, we're going to, you know, pick up some rocks and stack them and build some planters. <laughs> but the point is, um, they can't stop you if you don't have debt. And so people would say, well, how long is it going to take? I said, I don't know. We're going to keep working until we're done. Well, how much money is it going to take? Don't know. You know, what we don't have, we don't spend. So it, you don't have to have a budget or a schedule if you're not borrowing any money. It takes as long as it takes, and it costs what it costs. But we are going to do this. This is going to happen. And unless they kill us, we will get it done. So... I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know what it's going to cost, but every day we're going to move the ball forward, even if it means we just pick up some rocks and stack them to build some planters. If, and we've done that many times. When you come to the campus and see all these big, beautiful um, stone planters, those were the times when we had no money. <laughs> uh, incredible. So in the intro, which I'll go back, I record the, the, the main intro after we've done the interview so I can speak to what we did end up going to, what, the, what paths we went down. And I'll share, of course, your bio there and about your book. So people will have already heard that. Um, I do want to ask real quick for a little bit of insight into what Wizard Academy and the campus is because, doggone it, I haven't been there. I'm going to. Before we hear Roy share about Wizard Academy, let's talk about the wizardry of Harry's Razors, who brings you the most advanced cutting technology at an amazing price. Longtime Ziggler Show listeners know Tom Ziggler and I are both proud clients of Harry's. And as you'll hear in an upcoming spot for them, so are my dad and my brother, who's going to give a great testimony I'm eager to bring to you guys. But hey, right off the bat, Harry's Complete Starter Kit is only 15 bucks, And if you go now to harrys.com and use the code Ziggler, they'll take off another five bucks. I mean, these guys bought a razor factory in Germany that had been crafting some of the world's highest quality blades for almost a century. They cut out the middleman so they could offer an amazing shave at a fraction of the price of drugstore brands. Shipping's free and the blades go from their German factory straight to your door at factory direct prices. Harry's was founded just two years ago and is already disrupting the shaving industry, offering a better shaving experience at far better value than giants like Schick and Gillette. Harry's emphasizes great design, meticulous craftsmanship, amazing value, and highly personal and dedicated customer service for a completely better shaving experience. Again, you can get started now by going to harrys.com to get your kit. Use the code Ziggler to take $5 off your purchase. All right. Well, on that, Roy, I, I did give us a quick overview of Wizard Cam Academy, the events that you have there, but literally the campus itself, because it seems um, magical as I have read about it? Well, it actually got started, Kevin, whenever um, I, w I felt very, very bad. People um, 20 years ago would be trying to hire us, and I didn't have any more bandwidth. There weren't enough hours in the day for me to work with any more clients. And um, so we would have to tell them no. And I had people, a couple of people answering the phones, just telling people no all day. And I got to feeling bad about it. And I said, you know what, once a month, 
we should just, I should just give up a day, and anybody that's willing to fly to Austin, Texas, I'll teach them as much as I can possibly teach them, and I'll answer as many questions and help them as much as I can for a day for free. And, of course, we bought everybody lunch and, and poured wine for everyone and made sure they felt really, you know, well taken care of. And then they would say, well, now can we hire you? And we'd say, no, but hopefully we've helped you. Go home. Well, this went on month after month until finally the crowds were getting so big we had to rent hotel ballrooms. And then the catering bill for this one event was $10,000. And then my wife said, you know, people would pay for this. And I said, well, honey, it's a, it's a, huge, it's a huge investment. You know, for them to get on an airplane and, and travel a day to get here and travel another day to get home, they give up three days and all the costs of travel. And she said, well, if you were going to teach them everything they really needed to know, uh, how long would it take? And I said, well, it would take three long days. She goes, okay, why don't we go ahead and charge people and, and put together a three-day class and, you know, it doesn't take any more travel time. It doesn't take a more expensive plane ticket. And I said, well, honey... Nobody's going to be willing to do that. She goes, well, let's just give it a try. Just as an experiment, just announce that you're going to do this one time, you know, and, and just name a price. And so I did. And then the room filled up. She says, okay, now do that again. So the whole academy, Kevin, was my wife's idea. And then we were having people, we were meeting in the attic of our office. Unbelievably illegal. If the fire marshal would have showed up, we were yeah. all going to jail. And so <laughs> finally, um, nobody would go home at the end of the day. And they would just stay and we'd all talk until like midnight just out on the lawn of this office. And so finally she went and she went looking for some land to build a campus. And she found some land, bought the land. And she said, okay, now we need to start building some places for people to stay on campus so they don't have to rent hotel rooms. I said, okay, what do you have in mind? So she hired an architect and they designed this building. And I said, well, if students give the money, then, then we'll build it. And people have been giving money ever since. And so, as I mentioned, we built the campus for cash. In the first um, 18 people to sign up for a class, stay on campus at no charge in rooms that were built for them by other alumni. And then we're building uh, the House of the Lost Boys, which is taken from Peter Pan, mm-hmm. which is six more rooms, which will be now 24 people can stay on campus. And we have events almost every week. We have private academies for corporations that want us to do private training for their people. And then we have uh, public classes taught by different people. I teach about a third of them. And um, we, we really do try to make it a little bit like Neverland so that the people you're surrounded by and the things that happen, it's like you're not in Kansas anymore. You know, this is, this is not a mastermind group. This is not uh, sitting in straight rows facing, facing an authority figure at the front of the room as they download pre-digested information mm-hmm. so that you can regurgitate it back on test day to prove competence. Nope, it's a really weird exploration of big ideas and problem solving and stimulation. And then I disappear or the uh, instructor disappears and leaves the students with each other in the evenings. And they sit around and have dinner in the tower looking down 900 feet below to the city of Austin. And so we're up on a plateau on the Texas Escarpment. And we work really, really hard to make it magical as, as you have perceived from, from reading the memos mm-hmm. and stuff. But yeah, that's, that's the academy. It kind of happened by accident more than design. Mm-hmm. And uh, we made it a nonprofit educational organization. And then, of course, 999 weddings here last year, Kevin. Oh, my gosh. In 2015 at our little wedding chapel that sticks out over the edge of a cliff. And you get married here for free. It doesn't cost a penny to get married here. You just register online. And people are, are signing up six months and a year in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, 968 last year, or 968 in 2014, 999 in 2015, 
Kevin, this is the year we're going to go over a thousand. Beautiful. Well, I missed out. I got married in Austin downtown, um, 1993, and uh, it was not quite that magical. Well, yeah, I, I, and I want to, yeah, when you say a campus, you bought land and built a campus, you know, and I think, well, you know, if, if folks, if you're thinking of, yeah, uh, you know, white and steel and glass, like you said, this is more Peter Pan. I've seen pictures. It's, it's Lord of the Rings. It's, it's like a castle more than it is uh, the corporate arena, and which is. Uh, it's classic you from what I have, have gleaned from you. Now, I also, you mentioned your wife and what I read too, is she also said, look, we need to build something so that you'll stay home, which yeah. I, I <laughs> greatly appreciated. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. So I'm going to go back into the video here. You said one of the things that I pulled out again was if you don't make it happen, it's not going to happen. There's no one who's going to give it to you or hand it to you. Even if they want to, they can't. And can you, you cited this as one of the things that strengthened you and brought you to responsibility, which you started out with talking about at the beginning of the show here. So right there, you know, that statement there, we could open a big can of worms. It kind of sprung a leak in the dike of a lot of religion and doctrine. And I know you uh, in reading you as a man of, of faith. I actually saw you wrote one uh, somewhere once you said, I believe in a God and I know it's not me. And uh, I appreciated that. But so my interest in that statement, though, of you saying that it's up to you, personal responsibility uh, that you're talking about, not being soft. You're talking about taking full responsibility for your life. And I have to extrapolate from that that you see a lot of people suffering from just that. Again, going back to that abundance, things were provided to them. Am I tracking on your train of thought here? Oh, you are. You are. Um, Tom, I talk a lot about choices and consequences. And if, if we're going to take a theological perspective on this, um, if a person leans toward um, predestination, that the future has been written and you're just a pawn and everything you're ever going to do is you know, like God has already decided how your life is going to turn out. Yeah, kill me I'm going, now. well, that kind of denies the free will of man. <laughs> yeah. And I said, I can't quite go there in my head. I think, you know, we have the power of choice. I think that's what, I think that's what it meant in Genesis when it says, let us make man in our own image. I think God decided to make mini-me. He decided to make a person or an entity capable of looking him in the face and saying, no, I hear you. I'm just not going to do it. Hmm. And so to, to, to give another creature the ability to say, hmm. no, I'm not doing it. I have chosen to do something other than what you would wish I would do. You are not in control. I choose. And I said, okay, that's why the world is messed up. The world is completely messed up because we're in charge. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, you, you mentioned the theological position. And I'll go ahead and say this, even though it's a risky thing to say. I think it's a horrible heresy when people say that everything is happening according to the perfect plan of God. I'm going, no, it didn't. It's God's will for all men to be saved, and they're not being saved. You know, it's, it's like God never meant for any of these horrible things to happen. That was not part of his plan. We screwed up the plan, okay, and we keep making bad choices, and we keep creating horrible situations, and God's doing the very best he can to intervene. Mm. You know, that's what prayer is about. And so um, he's on the outside looking in, trying to rescue us uh, from a world spinning out of control. And so when I say, hey, you can ask God to help, but I couldn't ask my mom to help because she's barely getting by. We barely had food, hand to mouth. And I said, you know what? I can't rely on family because even though she would do anything for me, she didn't have the ability to help me. Right. And I said, I'm, I'm on a high rope here without a net. And I said, that's the greatest thing a person can experience if you survive it. Because you learn to be, you don't panic easily. 
and you learn to say, you know, we'll get through this. I'll figure this out. It will work out. I just got to figure out how I'm going to go about this. Before Tom Ziegler comments, one thing we all want to figure out better is sales, tracking and following up with prospects and leading people through the sales cycle. PipeDrive is not only a proud supporter of the Ziegler show, but we use PipeDrive at Ziegler, and I'm just about to start using it at a new medical clinic that I run. PipeDrive is the CRM for small teams. They can serve large numbers, but specialize with teams under 10. So whether you are an entrepreneur or not, most of us are involved in sales and it's often cumbersome to keep up with a a cohesive process. With PipeDrive, the pain and frustration of tracking deals with email and spreadsheets is gone forever. So entrepreneurs like PipeDrive because it visualizes your sales pipeline highlighting opportunities and potential problems, ultimately ensuring important activities and conversations don't get dropped. Head over to pipedrive.com slash Ziggler to start your exclusive 60-day free trial only available to listeners of this show. That's pipedrive.com slash Ziggler. So just a, just a couple of comments there. I love a guy, uh, uh, an apologetics expert, Ravi Zacharias. I don't know if you've ever listened to him. I'm oh, sure. yes, Absolutely. He's fantastic, and he, you know, he gets asked the question, how can, how can God allow bad things to happen? And, and ultimately it comes down to we weren't created as robots. Right. He wanted us to have the free will to love him. And in order to have true love, you have to have the ability to choose the opposite, right? And, Absolutely. And so then I was reading on or, or listening to stories about the French Revolution, and it had to do with we want liberty and we want equality. And you can never have them together, right? Because if we have liberty and the freedom to go out and be all that we can be, that means that some people are going to choose to take action on that and and create a life that we're envious of, and other people are going to decide that's not what I want. But there is no equality, and so you can't have both. You got to have one or the other. So here's my here's my question for you because you kind of brought it up in the opening uh, of this section here. Uh, we work with a lot of people, and they're stuck. And we'll just make it a business example. And they keep failing, they keep failing, and their attitude is just not good. You know, it's, it's like Dad said, they would brighten up a whole room just by leaving it. So their attitude <laughs> is bad. And we say, well, why don't you try this? And why don't you read this? And why don't you listen to this? And here's an event that you could come to. And the answer is always no, 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 no. In other words, this opportunity keeps coming in for new information, new ideas, and it's rejected. And it's poor little old me, poor little old me, poor little old me. And so I get in this, I get this four quadrants, right? And so the top line is on the left side is a bad attitude and, and skeptical of anything will work. Why bother? On the right side is this great attitude. And you know what? Even if things aren't good, I'm still going to have a great attitude because that will always outperform a bad attitude. And then at the bottom quadrant is, you know what? I don't want any more knowledge. I don't want any more information. I'm just stuck here. And on the right side is, man, I'm not only am I a constant student, I might even be an expert in a category, but the more I learn, the more I know I don't know. You know, I couldn't agree more, Tom. And I'll tell you, I'm going to go out again on another limb and say something that just potentially by some people are going to be considered um, a little bit lowbrow. But the one thing that I have um, been fascinated by in the past few years are the number of students that have come back to the academy and pulled me aside to say, you really, really, really changed my life. Now, I don't get, I don't get, I don't hear that a lot. You know, I'm really, I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm not a real touchy-feely guy. 
I'm not a group hugger, and I don't do affirmation nearly as well as Zig did. Um, and so every once in a while, when a person's presenting me with a problem, I'm going to help them with it, and I'm giving them here, here's what you need to do. And they say, well, I can't, and you know, they go down the little whiny path, you know what I mean? Well, here's what I usually say, and this is what they are thanking me for. They come back and thank me later, but I'll look them in the face and I'll say, you know what? We need to find an old woman to knit you a pair of balls. And so Beautiful. I said, now, until you find an old woman to knit you a pair of balls, I can't help you. And I just shut them down, you know, just smack them. And then they feel a little bit crushed. But tough love is what that really is because so many of those people have come back a year or two or three later saying, you know what? You just, you just nailed me on it. You just absolutely smacked me and said, I'm not going to try to help you. You're, you know, you're a lost case. And um, sometimes I think that's what has to be done. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I, I just want to see a Monday morning memo with that as the title. All right. All right. All right. I'll do that let, for you. Let, thank you. And let, was, let me. You know, of course, Dad would never use that frank of language. <laughs> but he was thinking it. But yeah, but I would I would tell you that when I was growing up, we went to a restaurant and this waiter was there and just the attitude was horrible, throwing food, irritated, you know, doing everything. And and dad looked at him and had him he did the little finger wave, come over here. Uh-huh. And the guy leaned over and he said, uh he said, You don't like your job, do you? And the guy goes, No, I don't. And dad said don't worry, because you won't have it for long. <laughs> Beautiful. And this guy's face got really big. And five minutes later, he came back and he said, I just wanted to thank you for telling me that. Huh. Yeah. You're right. You know, and I don't know whether he was afraid that dad was going to tell the manager or rather he had a very deep introspective thought. Wait a second. But it doesn't matter which one it was. The reality is, in that moment, somebody needed to tell him the truth. I saw a quote, and it said, "Average average players want to be left alone. Great players want to be, or good players want to be coached, and great players want to be told the truth." Mm. Yeah. Well, like I said, that was the wisdom of Zig Ziglar, and like I said, I I've never had his class or his style, so I just mumble along and do the best I can. Well, you know, in your, again, having read your, read you, um, read from you for so long and hearing about the events, that is, that is a primary reason that I have desired to attend one of your events where you are teaching, because in regards to my business pursuits and and various levels, I trusted that you would pull no punches and flat tell me the truth. And, and that's what I'm there for. I've been in counseling sessions, Roy, marital counseling. We've, my wife right. and I, whenever we hit an impasse, we go get help. And I've had sure. so many where I have had to say, you know what? Please don't coddle me. I- I'm really not paying for you to make me feel good. I'm here to get fixed. For the love of God, please tell me the truth. Uh, exactly. So thank you. Thank you for that. Okay. So uh, that's a good segue in, into this. So this, this is a question I care about deeply. Uh, I have seven children, and this is um, – I, I actually asked this question. I think I, I did it poorly, or maybe it was just to the wrong person, to a, a high-profile celebrity we interviewed, and it didn't – it wasn't answered, so I'll, I'll blame myself. But, uh, you know, Tom – actually, I don't know if it was you, Tom, or if it was you, or if you were citing Zig or somebody else, but you shared a statistic one, one time in one of the shows 
that showcased most, I think it was something to the effect of most high level CEOs and leaders come from childhoods involving poverty and or a sibling that was disabled. The point being there was hardship and life did not revolve around them and the benefit of that. Well, you know, I earlier talked about an interview I saw with Gary Vaynerchuk, and it's very similar to what you shared in this video that we've used here, Roy, about the wealth that hardship brought you. Zig talked about that. My dad is a product of that, milking cows at 5 a.m. at five years mm-hmm. old and not supported yeah. by his father and his pursuits and, and yada, yada. So if th- here's the question, and it's just a real one to me, especially as a parent, but also as I work with other people, if that breeds strength and resilience and responsibility and so much value, then what the hell do we do with uh, the, the reality of us as the product of that who then have, uh, let's talk parenting. So I, I, I couldn't find info on kids of yours, but I did find something about a daughter-in-law. So enough to know that you've got, you've got kids. So with them, I don't imagine that you hid your success, your income, that you lived in the projects, that you subjected them to manufactured trials and tribulations. So they'd gain the same benefit you did. Uh, we generally want to benefit our, our uh, kids. Kevin, that's where, you're, that's where you're wrong. Okay. okay. So that's, that's my question is because yeah. if we go along the scenario of, hey, I, I learned, I want to give that to my kids. They're going to give it. We end up, are we going to end up raising marshmallows? I don't want that. So this is a topic, an issue that I deal with my parenting. So yeah, please share. Okay. Now, you're the first person that's even gently touched the edges of parenting. I'll leave that alone because I'm, I'm not an expert in that area. You're but, a participant uh, like me. We have, we have two, two adult sons. My sons are uh, 31 and 35. My wife and I have been now, this is our 40th year together. Mm-hmm. We've been married for 40 years this year. And um, when they were little boys, I told both of them, from the time they were old enough to walk and talk, I would tell them, you know, other kids get an allowance, but you're not going to get an allowance. You're going to get paid for doing work. And you don't get paid for cleaning your room. And you don't get paid for washing dishes. You do those things because you live here. So if you want to earn money so that you can buy toys and things, you just tell me that you want to work, and I'll take you to the office, and uh, you can do some work. And they would literally empty the trash cans, take the trash cans out, and put them in the dumpster, you know, that kind of thing. So I would give them things they were capable of doing, even at four, five, six years old. But they were told, you can never ask for anything. You cannot ask me for toys. If you don't have the money to buy toys, then tough. Now, I will give you gifts from time to time because I choose to, but you can't ask for anything ever. And so both of my boys understood from the time they were little tiny boys that if they didn't have the money, they couldn't have the toy, but they could earn as much money as they wanted. And the only way this worked, Kevin, was, and I told them when they were small, now I'm going to pay you like you're a grown-up. Now, you're not able to do the work of a grown-up, but if I paid you the little 50 cents or a dollar that most children are paid, then you'd never have enough money to buy toys because toys are expensive. And so if they wanted to work, they could make like $10 in 30 minutes by five years old, six years old, you know, emptying trash cans and, you know, picking up trash in the parking lot and that sort of thing. I'd pay them like $10 each. They wanted to work for like an hour, hour and a half. I would just base upon how hard they're working and how focused they're staying mm-hmm. that I would pay them. So they could make 25, 30 bucks if they really wanted to on a Saturday in just a few hours. And so both of those boys have been broke exactly one time in their life. Mm. At a, between 9 and 11 years old, they had spent all their money. They saw something they really wanted. They didn't have the money for it. And neither one of them liked being broke. Now, I also told them their whole life, 
when you turn 16, you have to buy your own car. And I will pay for the insurance because I don't want you to let the insurance lapse. Mm -hmm. And I will pay for anything that has to do with safety. But you have to buy your own gas and you have to pay for the car. And I said, so brakes, tires, that sort of thing, that's about safety, I'll buy that for you. But you have to buy the car. And so my oldest son, when he turned 16, he had saved up working outside the home when he turned 16. He had to go get a job after school. And he had saved up enough money to buy a really nice Corvette. And he said, hey, the deal is you insurance, right? You insure it. And I said, yeah. And he goes, congratulations. And I said, now, I pay for the insurance until you get your first um, moving violation. Oh. When, you get a, when you get a traffic ticket, you have to start paying for your own insurance. Neither of my sons has ever had a traffic ticket. And both of them had to buy their own cars. Both of them worked outside the house. Neither one of them ever got an allowance. Neither one of them was ever allowed to ask for anything. And they'll tell you. When they were growing up, and they would be with their friends. And their friends you know, would take my sons with them to the store. And they're watching their, their buddies going, hey, can I have this? Dad, can I have this? Mommy, can I, will you buy me this? And they're kind of like going, what's that about? Don't you have any money? If you want it, just buy it. Don't you have any money? And now, Kevin, <laughs> both my boys will laugh because I'll tell you, when we lived at home, we didn't have cable television, mm -hmm. and we had a very small TV. <laughs> and as soon as the boys moved out of the house, we got cable and a huge big screen television. <laughs> yeah. And they laughed about that, and we lived in a home that was 1,700 square feet. The entire time we were raising those two boys, we could live anywhere in Austin. 1,700 square foot home. On the left of us is a guy that sold life insurance. On the right of us is a guy that mowed lawns for a living. And across the street was a fireman. That was my neighborhood. Mm. A fireman across the street, a guy that mows lawns on the right, and a not particularly successful insurance salesman on the other side. And that's where my boys grew up in 1,700 square feet. So, yeah, I did make sure that they never knew they were rich. Oh, my gosh. I've got to just say this. I've heard so many takes on either side, 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 of, the, side, of, the, side of this, and I've never put it right in better than that. Right. Because the ability to not, you know, some kids give them everything. Some parents give their kids everything. Some give them nothing or it's impossible for them to earn money. But just building that principle. I love it. Just two quotes came to mind. Uh, Dave Ramsey, who's been a guest here, you know, often he'll say, you don't need money. You need a job, you know, and, <laughs> and I could just hear his voice when you're saying it. And then and then Andy Andrews was on and he said this. He said, our responsibility is not to raise good kids. Our responsibility is to raise good adults. Yeah. Well, well said. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I did, um, Tom, is with both of my boys, I was nervous about maybe I was doing the wrong thing. And so I, I would go to them periodically every couple of years, and I'd say, now, hey, listen, this thing that I'm doing with you guys is kind of an experiment, and I might turn out to be the worst dad in the history of the world. I might turn, I may be horribly damaging you. Are you okay with it so far? And they would always go, oh, absolutely. This is awesome. We love this. We understand. I was treating these boys when they were six, seven, eight years old like they were adults, mm -hmm. like they were men. Now, the key was you have to pay them real money because if it's hopeless to buy the Nintendo game for $80, if you can't get there a dollar at a time. You just can't. You have to make sure they earn 10, 15, 20 bucks so that in just two or three weeks they can buy the 80 or the $100 thing if they want to. And so this idea of doing this horrific experiment, not being sure if it was the right thing, 
I did check with my boys periodically throughout their, their and they'll tell you today that they wouldn't have traded it for anything. So I do recommend it. You know, thank you. I won't go into my details. You've affirmed uh, some of the decisions I've made as, as a parent, but I will say on that last piece, I absolutely adore that. Uh, what you did there, because I have felt as I go along that, yeah, talk about a risky experiment. I've not parented before. This is a first time deal. My saving grace uh, that I've experienced now as my, as I've got older kids uh, uh, today is uh, it, it just that be the honesty of, Hey, I'm a guy I am trying. How am I doing? And I'm sure I'm going to mess up. Please let's talk about it. I'll, my wife's line is we'll pay for your counseling bills promise. Uh, so I appreciate that. I, think I would really like your wife. <laughs> yes, you would. Uh, thank you for sharing that. So I want to hit You mentioned again in, in the video, you talked about being broke. You said, um, okay, I'm going to, a couple quotes. This is, well, these are literal quotes. You said, I know how to be poor. Being poor doesn't scare me. Going broke doesn't scare me. Uh, I'll make it back. Being broke is a very temporary condition. Failure is a very temporary condition. I mean, those are Big, profound, very simple statements. But even on that, the I, I've definitely experienced that. I've experienced some people who have been handed a lot, who have been handed literal inheritance from celebrity parents and whatnot, and they are some of the least generous, most afraid people because they are not uh, confident that they can make it back. And here you instilled that in your kids. But again, it's something that you were given from hardship, the benefit of having to work hard. Well, Kevin, the other side of the thing about failure being temporary, yeah. so is success. In America, we tend to act like once you've achieved success, then you are now successful forever. And I'm going, no, success is a moment. Now, what are you going to do tomorrow? You know, success is not a permanent condition. Failure is not a permanent condition. They are both fleeting. They're both moments. And so once you get past the idea of thinking of failure and success as being permanent, then you're free to make a new decision tomorrow. Okay, well, right when you said that, success is temporary, it made me think of, uh, I don't know why, uh, IBM sprang to mind. They were success, and they tried to hold on to that success to their demise, never being willing to risk or or to break themselves down. My grandfather, he planted trees in my yard as a kid, and he would come back every whenever spring, summer, and prune them to just death. It would just kill me. I could not handle Today, of course, they're the most towering, majestic trees you've ever seen. But that pruning, I don't want to be pruned. I, I don't want God to send <laughs> trial upon me. And yet I, I realized the benefit afterwards. And to, well, you know, again, I, w- I would venture to say, and this isn't just to promote your events, that's part of it is going there to break down your business, see what is working, what isn't working, get insight into what we cannot see when we can't see the forest for the trees and for ourselves, for our businesses, whatever, that we need help breaking down so we can build back up stronger. Um, you, I look forward to you guys making a, making a visit. I, I do too. I do too. Uh, so you, you, you talked in there, and we're talking about kids somewhat, but you talked about yourself in that at that early age, you were learning some really important things about life that most people did not learn, often didn't pursue until their early 20s, which I think is probably a gracious timeline even amongst that. So my question, though, I'm going to bring it away from kids necessarily or parenting just to the culture that we see today, the workplace we see today. We keep hearing from corporations who are citing the struggle to find strong, responsible kids coming out of college this day, that there's some trends in our affluence that are hurting this this very aspect of strength, resilience that we're talking about. 
I really appreciate reading your Monday morning memos because you are so insightful with trends. So as we talk about this very concept right here, I'm going to ask you, what do you see as far as trends with our culture right now? And uh, well, and then of course, what I want to know is how, how do you, how would you address it? Okay. And again, you're leading me down some very controversial paths where I'm probably going to say some things that are going to outrage a lot of people. Great. Okay. Great. And so I, I apologize for that in advance. But when most people are talking about trends, they're basically saying, hey, what's going to happen to all these entitled little white millennials? And I'm going, no. If we're talking about trends, uh, let me explain. America was built by people who were so desperate that they would get on a ship and sail across the ocean to a place that had no roads. It had no real government to speak of. I mean, it was a wilderness with, with wild savages, mm-hmm. and uh, there's no food waiting on them. There's no jobs waiting on them. And they said, it's going to be great. And I'm going, so those were the nut jobs that left Europe and sailed across the waters to build this nation. And I'm going, so we get a few generations away from that, and suddenly everybody's born with plenty, and they're told they're special every day of their lives. I think here's the trend, okay? The trend is, God bless Mexico, because they're still hungry, mm. and they've come over here, and if you want to find responsible, hardworking, focused people, I'm not for building a wall. I'm for saying, hey, bring me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Anybody ever read the poem at the bottom of the Statue of Liberty? Mm. I'm for that, because we have employed so many Hispanics and uh, there's a fellow here that works for us now um, from Guatemala. And he is, Felipe is just an astounding, astoundingly brilliant, focused, hardworking, responsible. He's everything you'd want your, your child to be. And I'm going, I see that so much more reliably mm-hmm. here in Texas with my Hispanic friends and employees than I do see with the little white millennials. And I'm going, okay, you know what I think the trend is? I think they're going to get their lunch eaten in the next generation, and I think they deserve it. And I mean all that in a spirit of love. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. So somebody, I'm, I'm, uh, um, details are not my favorite thing in the world. Somebody made a quote, though, and it was something to the aspect of immigrants are five times more likely to become millionaires. Now, whether that was the exact terminology, that's what you're, uh, that's what you're referring to here because they, they work harder. Yeah, what I'm saying is if you're focused and hardworking and responsible and you're willing to get up earlier and work harder and deliver more and uh, you'll build a reputation. And guess what? If you're willing to do all that, I don't care what color you are. I don't care what language you speak. This is America and this is the place where you're free to come and do that. Well, you mentioned the word hungry, uh, which is one of my... Literally, it's been a word I've been writing on lately, thinking about, because as we talk about motivation, it's motive, but we come to hunger and in working with, and you don't know this about me, but I spent a lot of years working with people who wanted to transition from traditional employment to self-employment, finding something that fit them, that was relevant for them, that was viable in the marketplace. That was not the most difficult thing to do. What became the most difficult thing to do that I'd not set, set out necessarily to, to address was how do you get them hungry enough to just do what is needed to do? That um, I, I haven't figured that one out. That's, why I, that's a lot of what we do here on Ziggler's well, talk here's about the thing. that. See, yeah. um, nobody wants to hear this, but pain is a wonderful teacher. <laughs> and what I'm saying is, is you know, anybody that's ever been in a 12-step program will tell you that you have to let a person hit the bottom before they finally become desperate enough 
to do what needs to be done mm-hmm. to make the change they need to make. And I'm going, we, we keep such a safety net under the people we love that we don't ever let them feel the pain that is their greatest teacher. And I'm saying pain is a magnificent teacher. And our need to escape that pain is what propels us forward. And I'm going, so you take away the pain, you take away the propulsion. Wow. You know, I'm just going to jump in. I love this this uh, whole concept of, of your immigration because it's it's almost the same as your parenting philosophy of, man, don't ask me for anything, but I'm going to pay you real wages when you solve a problem. Right. My, Right, my uh, my wife's from Mexico, so I have a special affinity, and I know exactly. I didn't know that. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I had a conversation with my brother-in-law a few years back, and they live in Mexico, and he was sending his daughter to an English-only school in Mexico hmm. at four years old. That's what she was doing. I go, why is that? He goes, well, she's going to have an advantage. Hmm. Right, and I go. That's right. And so when I think of the conservative versus liberal argument and the liberal education argument is, well, we need to teach in Spanish. We need to accommodate. We need to do everything else. The reality is, is I travel all over the world and I'm treated by bilingual, trilingual people with four or five languages. (laughs) It freaks me out. You know, from a liberal mindset, it seems like the one thing that you would mandate is anybody immigrating to the U.S. who doesn't speak English require only English because now they've got an advantage over everybody. Huh. Yeah. I never and thought about that. And so your idea of the way you raise kids, I mean, it's such a simple thing. You're welcome. Come in, solve problems, obey our rules, and we will reward you when you do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like I said, I've, um, I, I think I've said, I've, I've, you guys have given me the freedom to say everything that I think is relevant, and uh, you've been very gracious, and, and uh, so I, I worry that you're going to get, you know, outraged listeners that will respond to you, but uh, you, don't need, you don't need to forward those. No, uh, no I think I'm going to title this <laughs> show something about Come Hear the Truth. Um, uh, no, I'm, I'm so I, on, on this, on what we've been talking about, I have one more question, and then I have a, a, an ending, uh, just inquiry, uh, curiosity okay. with you. So one of the ending things, it was along the lines of when you, t- you made the statement, I know how to be poor, being poor doesn't scare me, going broke doesn't scare me, I'll make it back. Uh, you said, when you are thinking that way, unafraid, and that was the topic is fear, unafraid, you are less afraid to do the kind of things that bring success. Uh, I'm going to take that home to my, we're going to, my, my kids will talk about this. We'll listen to this, to this show, but you are less afraid to do the kinds of things that bring success. So I won't ask you to define success unless you desire to, and all its attributes. But personally, when you spoke this in that interview, as you were thinking through your childhood and the reality of that, your epiphany, which was the focus of that video, what were the key things, four foremost things that came to mind of you were unafraid to do the things that bring success? Like, give me a, give me some bullet points. Oh, gee. I know it's a uh, big question. The kind of things that bring success is to leap and the net will appear. Um, whenever my wife said, you know, we need to buy this land so that we can um, build this school on it. We didn't have the money. I said, okay, let's buy the land. And so you make the decision, we're going to do this. Now, I'm not so irresponsible as to write a hot check. But we began to move forward as though we had the money. We began to figure out, okay, what would it take to buy it? You know, what, what, finding out what kind of permits would be required to build on it and what the zoning is. So when you move forward as though the money will appear, and then you say, okay, now, I have this need of this money. 
and I'm taking this action, and we're getting close to the point to where I need to have the money. What I've found, Kevin, is whenever you're committed to something and you believe in it and you want it to happen, and you're not looking at what you don't have, you're looking at what you do have. I have the time to go look at it. I have the time to investigate the zoning ordinances. I have the time to move forward in these ways that none of which take the money. But as you move forward, you find yourself talking about it. And other people become energized by the dream of it. Mm. And so, like I said, we've never begun anything that we were qualified or prepared or equipped financially to do. Mm. But that doesn't mean you, you can't start moving in that direction. And so whether it's building the school or building the business, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. Or writing a book. Um, you just sit down and you just start writing. And you don't worry about what's going to happen next. You don't have to have a publisher before you start writing. No. You know, you just start writing. And you said, by the time I need a publisher, I will have one. And you just move forward that way. And so the kinds of things it take to, to, to create success is action. Mm -hmm. Action. Just give yourself the freedom to take action in the confidence that the action will generate. Uh, it's the footlight. It's like the lamp that lights one step. Until I take this step, I don't see the next step. And too many people, well, no, I want to say, okay, and then what, and then what, and then what, and, and map the whole thing out for me and show me all of the in-between steps. I'm going, no, there are no, there is no map of the in-between steps. You can't answer problems you don't yet have. But yet everybody wants this, 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 this plan that shows them how they're going to get from A to Z. No, until you get to B, you don't even know how you're going to get to C. And so most people aren't built with enough just audacity to just start moving forward. And I'm going, it's a really simple concept, mm -hmm. and most people won't do it. And moving forward is what brings success. Okay, I have a business partner who's going to listen to this. So, Randy, this is the, that, was, that was for us right there, buddy. Um, and uh, okay, so I'm going to end. I, I've kept you a long time here and I could keep going on this, but it's a, a little bit of a two-part question. One, I want to ask you just on a base level with what you're doing with your own business, uh, books, Wizard Academy, products, offerings, whatever, just what you're excited about. Let us know about that. Um, but then on a personal slash business aspect, just me to you personally, I'm curious. It's a question I, I like to know about uh, my close friends. What is the specific passion, burdened, opportunity, idea? What's the thing that's primarily occupying your mind in the present days? Okay. Brilliant question, Kevin. Thank you for asking it. Um, right now, um, the Monday morning memo I'm working on that you'll read in a couple of weeks, the title is called Old Enough to Drive. Okay. Because Wizard Academy is 16 years old this year. Uh. And I did the math and when Wizard Academy turns 30, I'll be 72. And so I'm 58 now. And right now, transitioning um, the leadership and the ongoing management and the teaching responsibilities to the next generation. Yeah. And we're making a lot of progress. I'm, I'm, we started this about three years ago so that I could phase myself out and become invisible mm. before I'm gone. And unless you can turn over a nonprofit successfully to the next generation of leadership before you're gone, then it's probably going to die within 10 years after you do. And so history kind of indicates this, which is why I decided right now 
at 50, well, I started when I was 55, moving it to the next generation. Right now, the thing that consumes all my thoughts and everything that I'm doing is to defocus on Roy H. Williams and to focus on the instructors and the alumni and uh, the people that are um, what I call self-selected insiders. People rise up from nothing. They just rise up from nowhere. And it's like the board of directors. Seven people on the board of directors. I'm not on the board, neither is my wife. Uh, We have no legal authority over the academy. But Kevin, five of the seven I never saw in my life until they showed up as students. They came to the academy as students. They just kept coming back. They kept wanting to get involved. And so we just said, hey, and I would suggest to the other board members, why don't we just add this person as a board member? So now we have seven people. The, the, The students are in charge of the school. And so all of my thoughts, other than helping my clients grow their businesses, which I've got a lot of clients I've had for 25 plus years. And so my new clients I've had for five or seven or 10 years. And so I help my clients. It takes a lot of time, but all of my other energies are going towards transitioning Wizard Academy to the next generation. And so all the stuff that's about me, I have no interest in talking about it. Okay. No, that's good. It's interesting. We, yeah, Tom, I don't remember a couple months ago, interviewed Dave Ramsey and who's, I'm going to guess he's 58-ish, right around there. Talked about a very similar succession. He said, that's where yeah. my efforts are right now, is succession. Right. And that was... Right. Maybe 55, but yeah. Is he? Okay. That, that, was, that was impacting. Okay. Well, so from the academy standpoint, event-wise, uh, new offerings, new things happening, what's, what's, what's happening exciting then that we can partake of? Oh, um, anytime anybody goes to wizardacademy.org, you can just look at on-site classes and look at the schedule of things coming up. And there's usually video. And there's always a really clear course description. Okay. Um, in the next couple of weeks, I think Mark Fox, he's on our board of directors. He's also the youngest chief engineer in the history of the space shuttle project. He actually is a rocket scientist. Oh. And it's called Da Vinci and the 40 Answers. Now, here's what's crazy. It's going to sound completely insane. We're the only school in the world that teaches this class, but the top engineers at all the major corporations like um, Boeing and Samsung and Otis Elevator and Westinghouse, I mean, big companies, they're familiar with a principle called TRIZ, T-R-I-Z, and it's the the theory of inventive problem solving. And it basically contends that there's only 40 answers in the world. And every problem that's ever been solved has been solved with some, one of the 40 answers or some combination of the 40 answers. And so when you have the 40 answers and you're taught these 40 answers and given lots of examples of their implementation, then it's like having lenses, like think of a little magnifying glass, and you, and you, and you look through it at a problem. And you're going to look at this problem through the lens of porosity or through the lens of segmentation. And so once you have these 40 ideas, and engineers all over the world have been looking for a 41st answer, a 41st guiding principle, okay, and nobody's ever found a 41st answer. So why is no other school teaching the 40 answers? And so that's a class we have coming up, taught by Mark Fox. I also help teach that class, but he takes the lead. And um, that's the kind of crazy, crazy stuff that we investigate at Wizard Academy. And so, um, I mean, Nobel Prize winning chemists and Pulitzer Prize winning writers, uh, physicists, you know, college presidents, uh, politicians come here to school because when you come here, you're anonymous. We never tell anybody um, who you are. You have to tell them who you are. Mm-hmm. And we never trumpet who's going to be here. 
But it's amazing, the people, when you get really bright, really amazingly open-minded, uh, forward-thinking people in a room together, and you stimulate them with some big ideas, and watch what happens, yeah, it's, it's awesome. So every class is different because the composite of people, we wrapped up a three-day class yesterday, there were 32 people here, and um, nobody ever wants to go home. Mm-hmm. At the end of the third day, nobody wants to go home. They all want to stay a few more days. So um, that's not a problem because, you know, we have on-campus uh, student mansions. Mm-hmm. And until we need those rooms again, you're, you're free to stay, you know. We're not going to clean your room for you. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Granted, uh, incredibly compelling. So, Tom, we need to go look at the event list. Yeah, the, the nerd in me is just going nuts right now. Yeah, I, I thought so. Okay, there you go. Uh, Roy, again, thank you uh, immensely for giving of your, your time, your heart, your, your insight, being willing to step into dangerous waters for some. I look forward to the input of this. I know some folks I'm going to directly send this show to when it posts. So hang with us just a second. But uh, uh, folks, thanks for listening, tuning into The Ziggler Show. Again, Monday morning dot. Com, I believe. Uh, Roy H. Williams, you can go find that. You can find him all over the place. Please go. Please serve yourself well by going to invest there. Sign up. Get his weekly emails at the least. Uh, I hope to see you at an event there. Roy, thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Thank, thank you. you, Tom. Awesome. Appreciate you.